When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, this is the Blue with TechSideline.com, the associate editor and the football beat writer for TechSideline. I'm here with, as always, my two bosses and cohorts here at TSL. We have Will Stewart, the founder and owner of TSL, and then Chris Coleman, the managing editor of TSL. We're going to bring you probably the most important podcast of the year right now. We're talking about Clemson. Finally, it's here. We've been we've been waiting for it for several weeks now. We're just getting a few days now up until game day. Uh, Will, how you doing, man? Are you, how how pumped are you? The most important podcast in the history of podcasts, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. Chris, are you are you as jazzed as Will seems to be jazzed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I thought last week went by fast between the East Carolina games. And Thank the God, games. right? So, you're right. So I was sitting there thinking, man, this weekend's gonna go. This week's gonna go by really slow, but it's not because thank goodness the the Louisville stuff came oh, out man. yesterday. There's a new We've logo. So much. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So here we are. You know, we're taping this at the end of the day on Wednesday <laughs> and honestly we've got just a couple a couple more days before the game and and so it's actually gone by pretty quickly because we've got some fun, fun things to talk about I'm in a really chipper mood because ad revenue has been really good this week <laughs> yeah how real quick how awesome is it to see all of this this college basketball stuff kind of kind of unfold because I mean let's be honest uh, we all know that oh. this has been going on for years and now that the FBI who has almost unlimited power and resources, is just taking this head on. I, I hope they dig as deep as they can and find every single piece of evidence. It's, it's going to be. Can. It's going to get if, ugly. If, if that means every college basketball con- program in the country going on probation for a year and so we don't have it. college basketball, so be it. If that <laughs> if that forces the entire system to change from the ground up uh, for the better, so be it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think we would all agree that would be better for the sport overall. Let's go ahead and move back into football because obviously this is Clemson week. This is an extremely important game, not just for Tech's season this year, but for the the program overall. Real quick, let's recap the ODU game. Obviously, Tech wins that game, thirty-eight to nothing in a shutout. Um, not a, an, an incredibly fun game to watch. I think we would all agree with that. We were all focused on Clemson anyway. It's fun for Stephen Peoples. Yes, this is true. Yeah, Stephen Peoples tripled his touchdown total in his mm-hmm. career. Also, he was contributing and receiving and running and had a lucky touchdown in the in, in the end zone there that bounced off of. Cam Phillips' hands, but this is the another slow offensive start for Virginia Now, no, wait a minute. Cam's really good. I think he tipped it to him. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't go that far at all. Uh, but, yeah, this was another offensive slow, slow start for Tech. Uh, they've scored 20 points in the first quarter throughout this entire season. And if you do some you know, simple arithmetic there, that's five points averaging a quarter in the first quarter so far. Um, Will, how how – much does this worry you at this point because it seems like it's becoming a trend and it kind of leaks into last year almost well you, you just captain obvious reporting for duty you don't want to wind up 14 nothing to clemson at the end of the first quarter oh yeah you, you know did, i don't think they can they can come back from that i, I know that i know that fuente wants to figure this out because it's it's costing uh 
Well, it probably might have cost them the ACC championship game last year. And, you know? and they did get down 14 nothing, And, and, and it might have cost them against Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know he wants to get it figured out. Now, you, you guys asked him about it this week. What did he say? Do you, what, do you recall what he said about it? He kind of just, you know, said it's a, it can be a variety of different things. He didn't right. really get into detail on it. He didn't seem that, um, that you know, interested in talking about it, to be honest. Yeah, I guess I guess the way it works for him is you know they've they've got their game plans. They go out there. The defense is showing something a little different. Uh, they watch about a quarter of football, make some adjustments, and boom, away we go. Um, it sure would be nice to get off to a hot start, though. Yeah, because it seems like the trend is developing that that's how they're doing it. So when you talk about this stuff, I was, this this may sound random, but I was thinking about this the other day when Georgia Tech came in here in 2006. Was it Chris? Yeah, and they got up. Was it twenty one? Oh, twenty one nothing. Yeah. You know, and and I remember one of the first plays they ran was they got. Yeah, I think it was Calvin. Yeah, I don't think it was Calvin it was, Johnson. Was uh, it Calvin? It might have been Calvin. They I got think one I of their, was Calvin. Uh, yeah, like first, Megatron. First play from scrimmage, boom, wide open down the middle of the field. That was yeah. It? That was a Tampa two coverage look by Tech, and Vince Hall did not drop deep enough, and so basically you had. Calvin Johnson lined up, I believe, in the slot, just running wide open over the middle of the field with nobody covering him. Virginia Tech does not have good luck with with, with cover two looks, do they? No. <laughs> so, but what just I to remove that from the playbook. What I remember about that is one of our writers saying at the time, when you see a big play like that, the first play from scrimmage, that means the opposing coaches have seen something on film and they're going to go right after it, right from the beginning. I'd like to see a little bit of that from Virginia Tech against yeah, Clemson. You know, yeah. let's pop a big one early. Uh, get yourself a little bit of a cushion. Maybe it maybe go up a touchdown instead of going down one or two. Keep the fans in the game. You know that kind of. That's thing. really important. I feel like for this kind of game, you have to keep that. You know, obviously the student section, which is really you know their attention spans really short. But you need to keep everyone jazzed for this game. I mean, it's going to be a night game. People might be tired. You need to keep them motivated. I, I think that everybody has to pace themselves Saturday and Saturday night. <laughs> fans, coaches, <laughs> players. Yeah. Way. You know, and, and I talked about this in my column this week where Tech went out in the Battle of Bristol last year, got up 14 nothing on Tennessee, and then kind of – they not Proceeded kinda, to fall flat on their face. They, they lost their composure, you know. And Fuente said that after the game. He said, you know, we're up 14 nothing, We're losing our minds. And he said, I got I to gotta coach these guys to expect success. And I keep hammering the point home this week is that regardless of what happens Saturday night, this is an important part of the process for Tech – this might sound silly, but they have to learn to play at home in a super amped up environment. At night. Which, at night, which the last time we saw that was, you know, when Ohio State came in here in, in 2015. This staff and this group of players with their philosophy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, has not played a hugely important amped up game. And, and this is part of the process. So we'll see how they handle it. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. What was the original question? <laughs> well, I, 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 I really wanted to, you know, just just make sure we talked about how these these slow, slow starts, starts offensively uh, yeah. are, are really all becoming right. a problem, and they can't afford that this week. Yeah, here's what I was going to add for that is, you know, everybody likes to think back to some of the great memories of last year, which was coming back seventeen nothing down at Notre Dame, coming down twenty four nothing against uh, against Arkansas in the Belk Bowl. You know, I bet what Justin Fuente really remembers is, man, you know, we won 10 games, but we could have won 12 games if we hadn't fallen down 20 Probably to nothing. Probably should have won. Yeah. To Georgia Tech, or what, what, 17 to nothing, 17-7 against Syracuse? Seven, I think it was 17-3 at the half Okay, Syracuse, 17-3 like against Syracuse at the halftime. I think you're right. So if you, don't, if you don't fall behind in those games, maybe even the Clemson game, 
I mean, maybe you win the ACC title, or, or maybe maybe you uh, maybe you only lose two regular season games, and or maybe you only lose one regular season game, then an ACC title game loss, and you know maybe you sneak in one of those top six bowl games or something like that. Uh, you, you know, it just it, as good as Virginia Tech was last year. They could have been better if they, if they could have started some of those games better. Well, we sit here and we say all these things, but, you know, I think everybody would agree that Virginia Tech's actually kind of had a schedule yes. on, on the rebuild. Uh, yeah, it um, seems fair. Yeah, you know, they're 14-4, and four and uh, um, they've still got a lot of program building to do, particularly in the area of talent and depth. Dabo Swinney was 7-6 and six in his first full year at Clemson, and he was 6-7 and seven in his third full year. Yeah. So, you know, it takes a while to rebuild a program sometimes, and the fact that Tech won 10 games – in Justin Fuente's first year, and is sitting here undefeated, ranked 12th in the country, getting college game day coming to town in his second season. I mean, he's well ahead of what of where Clemson was at the same time during during the time period when Dabo took Dabo, excuse me, Dabo. <laughs> yeah, because apparently that's exa- yes, that's how yeah. you're supposed to pronounce it yeah. now. Is but it's, Dabo, also, but it's also Dabo. pronounced Sweeney, right? Yeah, yeah, Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney. Should, should, I, should I have my pinky raised? <laughs> Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to the the other thing I wanted to to make sure we dragged out of the ODU game and talked about in this podcast was this was the second shutout this year for Virginia Tech. I mean, they've been absolutely incredible in these last three games, 129 to 17. Uh, So obviously the defense is really there the last seven quarters. They haven't allowed a point. Uh, Will, what is your confidence level in this defense right now, considering in the West Virginia game we saw some serious concerns? I think think it depends upon the opponent, you know, um... I don't, you know, West Virginia runs a lot of plays. We talked about that. They average getting a playoff every 15 seconds, yeah. which is just insane when you consider that sometimes the clock was stopped between plays. Um, but, the, you know, Tech gave up almost 600 yards, and I don't see them doing that even against the better offensive teams on their schedule. But I think you also need to be careful that the, the shutouts might be a little bit of fool's goal. Definitely, yeah. You know, particularly against Delaware. Was it Delaware that missed a short field goal? Mm, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, my confidence level's good until you start thinking about the attrition that occurs throughout the year. They've already lost Divine Diablo. And I was actually thinking about Diablo this morning, thinking a guy with his range can be very uh, advantageous in, in, a, uh, in a matchup like this. Clemson's starting receivers aren't tall, but they've, they've got some backups that have some height to them. Well, that, and they, 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 I mean, they spread the field. They have a lot of, you know, speed and athleticism out there, too. So you need a guy who has that range of divine. So he's already, they, they've already lost a weapon. Um, there's been no talk about Trayvon Hill, who left the game limping, came back, left after one play. Uh, how healthy is he? How are the defensive tackles? So my confidence level is already eroding a little bit just because of the, the attrition that occurs throughout the year. Yeah, and, you know, attrition occurs every year. And we saw it about this time last year. I, I, get, was, I guess it was the sixth game last year when Virginia Tech went up to the Carrier Dome and all their defensive ends started dropping like flies against Syracuse. Man, that, yeah. yeah and that this, this is only the fifth game, but, but you get the point. I mean, this is this time of the year where, where things like that start happening. I mean, I, I think – we're going to have a good defense this year but uh, throughout the whole way, but I think it's better right now than it will be at the end of the season simply because it doesn't have the depth to, to make it all through the entire year unscathed. I'm glad the Clemson game is early. I had hoped, you know, Tech made it through the first three games basically uh, un- unblemished mm-hmm. on the defense, and then sure enough they had a couple guys get dinged up against ODU. I mean, really ODU. You're right, and, Di- <laughs> and Diablo gets hurt making an interception and nobody touches him. It's just how yeah, he stepped. I mean, that's like, just, yeah. yeah, that's just bad luck. So, 
let's go ahead and you know, put a bow on the ODU game. Obviously, I don't think any of us were, were you know, had major takeaways from that game, and the game didn't have a ton of importance because Clemson was waiting in the wings this weekend. Um, before we dive into the actual game that will be played on Saturday night, 8 p.m. on ABC, uh, I, I want to talk about Clemson's rise to power because Clemson's rise under Dabo Sweeney kind of coincided with the, the the short downfall of tech that we saw mm-hmm. from maybe the 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 2011 season and obviously through 2015. Um, Chris, when did you really first realize that Clemson had surpassed Virginia Tech as a as a program overall? You know, I think it was somewhere in that 2011 2012 range. I mean, first they beat Virginia Tech twice in 2011, and you sit there and think, okay, you know, that was the only team Virginia Tech. <laughs> truly lost to uh last year or and so was it a fluke was it not uh i i I don't know um they beat tech again in 2012 and you could just see that they had better players in virginia tech and and the big thing is if you look up and down their roster back then you saw a bunch of guys that virginia tech had tried to recruit and they could and then they lost and they lost them to clemson and so you're like okay well you can see you know that that's that's what happens i mean for one program to become good you know they have to steal players from another. It's kind of a kind of a zero sum game. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, it had to for me. It's the 2011 season. You know, uh, they they Clemson came in Elaine Stadium, and Tech had won four in a row against Clemson and pretty handily, and then uh, big game and Clemson came in here and beat uh, beat Tech 23 to three. Yeah. Um, and that that game, I remember that game being really frustrating. Tech couldn't get anything going offensively. And then in the ACC championship game, uh, Clemson was just literally toying with Tech at the end. You know, I don't remember what they did. Do you remember what they did, Chris? They did some funny shifts or something like that that were mocking Tech at the end. I don't know about mocking, but, you know, they were just they, – they outclassed us. I think it was a 10-10 game at halftime in the ACC yeah, championship yeah. game. And what I remember about that game is David Wilson – Getting a handoff out of, out of a shotgun, and I, I don't remember the exact type of play it was, but I do remember that it was a play Virginia Tech had not run the entire season. And one of the Clemson's cornerbacks walked down to the edge of the line of scrimmage and just sat on the play and was right there to tackle David Wilson in the, in the backfield for a loss, a lot like, he, like he knew that the play was coming. One of the other things that I, that I thought was really interesting about this this Clemson kind of rise to power was that I'm, I'm starting to see some similarities in, in the way that Virginia Tech is also rising to power in terms of gradual progress from recruiting, even though that Tech's gradual progress seems to be a little bit a little bit quicker than, than than Clemson's maybe was. Will, are you seeing kind of any any similarities between what Dabo was able to do at Clemson and what Justin Fuente is doing here? As far as recruiting or overall program? It's just progress. overall. Um Beyond beyond what we've already talked about, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be a, a student of the Clemson program. You can sit there and of look, course, look yeah, at the records yeah. and things like that. Um, I think Clemson got better in recruiting pretty quickly. Um, there, but even then, they were never an, an elite recruiting team. They were always in the 10 to, to 17-ish range. But somebody made a good point to me, you know, because I post that information all the time on our message board. You go back and look at the Clemson's recruiting rankings, and they actually range from 9th or 10th in the country to 17th or 18th. It's not like they're recruiting top five yeah, year of course. in, year out. But those rankings are based on not just the quality of players, but the quantity of players. And somebody said, yeah, but if you sort by average star rating, you can see that Clemson is, is a much higher ranked 
our recruiting program. So I got to go back and study that. But um, the thing that really jumps out at one of the things that jumps out at me about uh, Clemson's rise to power is, and I talked about this in an article, was after they won the ACC championship in 2011, they got they got smoked by West Virginia in the Orange Bowl, 70 to 33. And I remember watching that game, and it's one of those deals where, well, it was 70 to 33, but it was actually worse than that. that, that that's hard to <laughs> I don't imagine. Know if it can get worse than that. Clemson's defense completely quit. And their defensive coordinator is Kevin Steele, who I believe is the D.C. at Alabama now. But Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney fired him after that game. And, and it was very quickly after that game. He didn't wait a week or two. You know, he made a decision, yeah. and he did it. And I, I'm well. That's one of the things. I know I'm not really answering your question, but it's one of the things I think about. I look at Justin Fuente, and and under Frank Beamer, loyalty to assistance was a hallmark. You know, he kept yeah. guys and kept guys and kept guys. There are a few exceptions, but I wonder if Fuente is going to get a little further down the road and start looking and going. I need an improvement here. I need an improvement here. You know, and that's one of the things I'll be watching as time goes by. Uh, there's a certain amount of building you can do with stuff he's already got in place. When he starts to bump his head on the ceiling, what does he do then? Yeah, I mean, definitely, and we don't really know when he's going to start bumping his head on the ceiling, but eventually it's going to happen. I think uh, I think Dabo's rise is probably a little more similar to Frank Beamer's. Um, you know, Frank Frank got off to a slow start because of probation, and, and obviously Clemson wasn't on probation when, when Dabo took over. But like I said, they only went seven and six in his first full year, six and seven in his third year. It took a while, and it took him, you know, they had to hire Chad Morris to fix their offense first, and then they started scoring a bunch of points. But then but they, they couldn't, couldn't stop, stop anybody. anybody. Yeah. So, so let me let me interrupt and point out that even though they beat Tech twenty three to three and thirty eight to ten in twenty eleven, other than that, their defense stunk. Yeah. And that's one of the things that was so frustrating about that season is they were giving up gobs of points to everybody. But Except tech. tech. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast, yeah. But at any rate, then they hired uh, Brent Venables to fix the defense out of Oklahoma. And since then, you know, Brent, Brent, I believe, has been there for four or five years now. And they, they weren't a dominant defense at first when he first got there. They sure are now. They sure are now. And you've you've seen them slowly develop into one as he's built, as he's recruited his own players to put in that defense. And they've been able to teach them their culture, you know, over a four or five year stretch. So I, I think the big thing, he's like the Phil Elmashen of, of Clemson football. And for Tech fans, remember Phil Elmashen came into Virginia Tech in, in 1993. You know, not only did he change Tech's defensive scheme for, for the better, but, you know, he made Tech a tougher program. And I, I've got some friends that were on that 1993 team, and they joke back and forth with me about how the players back then joked that they didn't know who the head coach was. It's like Beamer just backed off and said, <laughs> Elmo, you, you just get it right from a discipline standpoint. Yeah. And he did. And and Virginia Tech, they've been to a bowl game every every year since, and, and it became a much tougher football program since. And I think you've seen the same thing at Clemson. Uh, you know, ever ever since uh, Dabo made that coaching change on defense. So th- this is neither here nor there to the conversation, but if, if you go and look at our game proof and read it today, you know, we talk about how good Clemson's defensive line is. And uh, I don't know what the proper adjective uses, the weird thing, the strange thing, the impressive thing about that. Their starting defensive linemen, if I remember correctly, are sophomore, redshirt sophomore, junior, and redshirt junior. There's not even a single senior among that starting four it's on their kind defensive of pure line. talent. And it's essentially an NFL defensive line. These guys will all move on, you know. Yeah. That, 
that you, you get your program going when you're showing that kind of depth at such a young age. I think they're all physically good enough to play in the NFL right now, which is, you know, you, you don't you're not able to say that very much about the college defensive lines that don't feature any seniors. You know, Dexter Lawrence isn't even eligible for the NFL, but I think yeah, he's, 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 he's good enough right. to play in it. Yeah. He's only he's a true sophomore. Um, I, you know, uh, Farrell is. I think the two juniors will could end up going. Uh, declaring maybe maybe not. Uh, Farrell's only a redshirt sophomore. What will he What will he do? Uh, but the thing is about Clemson, man, they've always recruited defensive linemen. I mean, I remember back in the mid two thousands, they were recruiting four and five star defensive ends like uh, what was the Sap kid's name? Ricky Sap, maybe I yeah, think. Uh, yeah. They had a bunch of guys like that. So this is nothing new for Clemson. I don't, they've never really had four guys like this at the same time. But they've had a lot of really talented defensive linemen through the years. And, and for your older Hokies, it goes all the way back to William the Refrigerator That's Perry true. back in the 80s. <laughs> the, the only thing I remember William Perry doing was, was playing fullback for the Bears in that, in that crazy right. heavy formation. Um, when it comes to Justin Fuente and at Virginia Tech, and obviously we know what, what, what Sweeney's ceiling is at Clemson, what is, and, and will you address this in your Monday thoughts, and I thought it was a really good part of your, of your article, what is Justin Fuente's ceiling here? Do we... Do we have any idea what it is? Do we need to see a little bit more before we know what it is or, you know, or, or what? We need to see more. Um, the program, as I look at it right now, uh, I don't see this program going undefeated in a season. Um, let, let's assume Miami's going to get better under Mark Richt. Big assumption, you know how I feel about Miami. If you've been reading <laughs> my stuff, I think they're, you know, anyway. Maybe that'll change under Mark Richt, and maybe you'll finally have a year-in, year-out worthy competitor to Virginia Tech in the Coastal. Like they used to be. Like they used to be. You know, Georgia Tech has filled that role, but, you know, they're not a dominant national yeah, program. Yeah, So let's say you get Miami built back up and Virginia Tech builds back up at the same time. That might be a 50-50 proposition just to get out of the Coastal. Then you get to the ACC Championship game where you're a 50-50 proposition with Clemson and Florida State. I'm not going to include Louisville in that group, um, especially after right after what we're what we're seeing right now. Yeah, they're a good football program, but uh, they're they're not. I'm not going to include them in that group. So you're already down to a 25 percent chance to win the ACC in any given year if you use those as assumptions. Then you got to go undefeated and out of conference play, and that's getting pretty darn good here soon. So I think what I'm getting at is, I think the ceiling might be if recruiting gets better and they build the depth up. I think the ceiling might be making the playoffs. And I'm not talking about every year. I'm not that dumb, okay? I I know how the rest of college football works. Maybe making the playoffs every eight or ten years. You know, if everything comes together for Tech and they get out of the coast, they get out of out of conference, they get out of the coast, they'll get get through the ACC championship game. You know, and I guess once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. But, man, it's a lot harder now. It's two games and depth becomes really important. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, Tech can win the national championship, but it, absolutely everything would have to line up right. Uh, when's the last time a program with a state with a stadium that sat less than 70,000 people won the national championship? Stadium size shows you how much money a program has, really. And, for and it also shows you how much support you have from your from your fans. Yeah, right. And, and so that's – and Tech right now is struggling to fill a 65,000-seat stadium. Um you know, these Alabamas and Ohio States of the world. And, and, you know, Clemson, I think Clemson, how much is the Death Valley seat? About 80? 80 or 82, something like right. that. Right. So that's actually small compared to the rest of the national title winners. Small recently. in air quotes. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, 
you know, so Tech can win it, but everything would have to come together, which which is really they'd have to have an injury-free season. Uh, you know, they'd have to have none of those uh, no bad luck games. The ball would have to bounce the right way all the time. You know, and that's certainly possible. But, you know, the main thing they have to do, they have to put themselves in a position for that to happen by, by recruiting better. They need to sign top 15 classes. And the difficulty there is that, you know, back when back when Frank was in his heyday, Tech had made a big run-up in facilities. They'd built a larger stadium. They had the Merriman Center was fairly new and competitive. They didn't have an indoor facility yet, but Tech had closed the gap. And since then, with the advent of these giant football staffs, and that's a Nick Saban thing. He's got all of his analysts and all his recruiting guys, these huge $2 and $3 million support staffs. I'm not talking about the regular coaches. Yeah, because they actually can't. Act as coaches. And so back in 1997-98, Tech builds a 10 or $11 million Merriman Center that's competitive with everybody else. Well, now other schools are building, you know, Clemson's built a $55 million football center. It, it puts Tech to shame. You know, and, and, and that's not any fault of Tech's. It's the, the money, particularly amongst the conferences that have a nice conference network that pays them a lot of money. I mean, did you know Minnesota is over a hundred million a year in, in athletic revenue? Hey, row the boat, uh, man. Uh, 20, row the boat. Twenty-five million. And what's Virginia Tech for uh, comparison? Uh, Eighty-three million. So you're you're saying Minnesota makes about twenty million dollars more, more per year per than Virginia year, Tech, you know? right? And so so yes, we do need Virginia Tech fans. A lot of them need to readjust, readjust their expectations here for the program. This program needs a lot more money. I mean, Clemson just built their. Uh, fifty million dollar facility. You know they've got they've got a, a slide in there. They've got a putting green. They've got a basketball court. I think they've got a, they've got a sw- they got a barber shop. They've got a pool. I mean it, these college kids are, are are living better than than wealthy people in, in a lot of in, in some of these major college fo- college football institutions now. That's just the way it is. So you know until. And this was a Clemson program that until a few years ago, their revenue was pretty similar to Virginia Tech's. Yeah. So, and Clemson, recall, they only, I think, support 17 sports. And Tech supports 20 or 21, something like that. So Clemson now is making more money than Virginia Tech, and they're supporting fewer sports. They're so, so they can afford to put more money into football and things like that. So ultimately, next time you get one of those drive for 25 letters in the mail, this is what that drive for 25 letters trying to tell you is that if you actually want to win a national championship, our fan base collectively and, you know, let's say individual tech fans, they have to start donating more money. And, they, and, you know, they might say, well, I can't do it. Well, Clemson fans say, guess what? I can do it. And that's why they've won the national yeah, title. I mean, if you just look at, you know, all of the, the, the resources and tools that the Alabamas, Penn State, Clemson, and Ohio State and all of these schools have, they're they're far and above the rest of the competition. And in order to get into that upper echelon, you do have to have a fan base that donates an, an incredible amount of money. And yes, I think we would all agree that there's too much money in the sport, but if you're going to if you're going to compete, you got to keep up with the Joneses, and this is exactly what that is. So that that can be a depressing discussion, but there is a when it comes to money, there is a point of diminishing returns. That's right. You know, um, one of the things that I'll be watching Clemson's program for is so when you get a kid that walks in that fifty-five million dollars center with its nap room and its <laughs> and its putt putt golf and its and its masseuses, exactly what kind of kid are you getting? You know, are you going to get that? Uh, I hate to use that tried and true expression blue collar 
is that kid going to put forth maximum effort? You look at what happened to Texas. You know, Texas was a pretty darn good program in the mid-2000s. And they're just, I mean, with all the resources at their disposal and all the, you know, supposed talent in the state of Texas, that team has become soft, you know. And, and I wonder if part of that is because of everything they have at their disposal. Are they attracting those kind of kids? I don't know. You know, I don't follow the program that closely. I'll give you an example. Um, I mentioned earlier that I've got buddies that played football for Tech through the early to mid-90s. And these were in-state guys that were getting recruited by Virginia and Virginia Tech. And, you know, they all picked Tech. And, you know, they, they were buddies with a lot of people who went to UVA, uh, who played football at UVA, because that was back in the day when both schools built their programs from in-state talent. And the UVA guys would make fun of them saying, why do you want to go to Virginia Tech? They don't have any facilities. The you know, they're all, all sports are bad. Uh, their weight room looks like it was from the 1970s. Dungeon, Blah, yeah. yeah. And it's that guys that are like, we don't need any of that stuff. All we need is a, some weights to lift and a practice field and go play football. And that's when tech really started getting blue collar and started winning a lot of football games. Let's go ahead and move on that because, but this topic is kind of connected to that. And I want to talk about the ACC's conference scheduling and how, and, and how it really unbalanced it is. I mean, you, you think about it, after uh, this Saturday, Tech and Clemson are not going to play again until the 2024 season, and that's going to be in Death Valley. They, they won't even play in Lane until way after that. Uh, Tech plays Florida State next year in Tallahassee. They're not going to play again until 2023, and that's in Lane. So Tech won't be making a trip to Tallahassee outside of next year for a very, very long time. So, so Florida State came in here in 2012, and they're coming back in 2023 is what you're saying. Exactly, basically. So... Uh, and that and, and Virginia Tech and Louisville, Louisville just got into the, in, into the ACC and has obviously other things to worry about right now. But Tech and Louisville are not going to play until 2020. So the main question here I have is is that uh, with this kind of unbalanced scheduling, what are the, the benefits and the negatives of that for Virginia Tech? Well, I want to start with the negatives first. We'll go ahead. The negative um, right off the top of my head is that every year Tech plays Boston College, Duke, Pittsburgh, UNC, um, Pittsburgh, I sort of don't really include in this category, but if you think about Boston College, Duke and UNC, watching their games is a snoozer. You know, I mean, I, I'm not saying they're bad football programs. Duke has actually gotten a lot better. And then, you know, Duke has become competitive, good football team. But when you play at Duke, you're playing in front of 25,000 people. And I'm not exaggerating. If, if that, if that, you know, even as they started to win and go to bowls, I've studied their attendance. It's flat. They just don't care. Boston College is becoming a graveyard to play in that place. Yeah. I'll include Virginia in that group. 30,000, 33,000 fans for their game. Uh, I don't remember. I think U- UConn. UConn. Now, granted, it was, it was it's UConn. UConn. <laughs> you're, so you're Virginia Tech, and, and I, I wouldn't say that, you know, Mississippi State is a better program, but if, when you tune into a Mississippi State game, generally where they're playing is full and loud, and when they play at home, it's full and loud. So it makes your program less sexy when you're playing these snoozer games in front of small crowds where there's no noise. Well, that, I mean, and also I, I included Pittsburgh in that group because whenever they play in Pittsburgh, That's they're true. playing in a 60-plus thousand-seat stadium, an NFL stadium, and it's half full or, 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 or maybe two-thirds full if it's a big game. So Unless it's Penn State, then they sell it out. To Penn State fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think ESPN can do a good job of showing those pit games because um, – 
they, they do find the sections of the stands where the <laughs> students are, and they do put the camera on Narduzzi going bananas. So, and, and generally, it's good football. Tech Tech and Pitt is, is you know, it's kind of old Biggie's throwback yeah, stuff. I don't know. I, I, I think it was the... Was it the 2015 season when they hosted Pittsburgh and it was a it was a, a sloppy, rainy, cold? I don't want to remember. Game I'm going to file that Motley one away with couldn't the... couldn't get any. I think he got sacked eight times. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to file away that one with that 1998 <laughs> game of which we never speak. You know, <laughs> but I mean, but yeah, I mean, Chris. Obviously, there are some benefits, and I want to get to those. But yep. when, like Will mentioned, when you're playing uninspired fan bases like North Carolina, like Duke, even though Duke is, uh, I think, a respectable football program, Mm -hmm. Uh, Pittsburgh, UVA at this point, when you're playing those teams every season, you know, like like Will said, the games just aren't aren't as exciting and you're not going to play as many ranked teams in your schedule. You're not going to play as many ranked teams in your schedule. But but the and the big thing is these days is people have more entertainment options with the advent of HDTV. More people are choosing to stay home on their couch. So you need to give them a reason to come to games. And Boston College coming to Lane Stadium doesn't do it. What if Virginia Tech's crossover opponent was Clemson? So you got Clemson in Lane Stadium every other year. That sells more season tickets. Or even if it was Louisville, because right or now you'd NC have State. the the high. The, if it was Heisman anybody but Boston College, almost. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, honestly, um, and just. It's, I mean, just, even Syracuse playing Syracuse every year home and away that that would, that would fire be, that would, rivalry back up. That would probably yeah be better than Boston College. I mean, I, I respect Boston College. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they've Tech and BC have played a lot of great games over the years, but they just don't excite the Tech fan base like playing big state schools does. And and that's the problem with the ACC is it's just not made up of big state schools. One of the the biggest positives of Tech's kind of unbalanced scheduling in the ACC is I think that we would all agree that. The Tech's scheduling is really, really beneficial to the fact that they'll they're gonna make they have a chance as long as they're a good program to make the ACC title game every season. Um, how I mean, how easy is their road not only to the ACC title game, not only to a New Year's Six bowl game, but possibly to the playoff if you're gonna play these these kind of uninspiring teams every year? It well, seems pretty pretty easy. I think it's probably the easiest in in the Power Five conferences. Uh, is I think one of the isn't one of the SEC divisions getting kind of weak? Now? SEC East is weak. But well, see, you, well, but here's the thing though: is right that now. this year the SEC East looks like it's slightly better than the West because outside of Alabama, the yeah. rest of the SEC West is well. The SEC West is the last place you want to coach. Oh right. yeah, yeah, because you got to play Nick Saban every yeah, season. Got to play LSU. Yeah, and... and this is why Tech is such a great job right now. I mean, I would, I would, if I'm a rising head coach, if I had an offer to work at any SEC school. Or Virginia Tech, and I and you know I'm biased here, so of course, yeah. but don't get me wrong. But I understand the advantages that are built in to coaching at Virginia Tech, and that's you're playing in a division where the the best two the best two or three other teams are are Penn State or not Penn State Pitt, um, UNC Miami. Miami, and now Duke. I guess it's just not if 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 Virginia Tech football is 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 operating at the peak of its efficiency, it's definitely the best program in the coastal division. So that means if you can get through that and you know, you can catch Florida state and Clemson in the right year, it's, it's probably the easiest path to the college football playoffs out of all the, all the major divisions in like the ACC, the, the, the big 10, yeah. the SEC. Uh, it's just, I think it's, you need to pay over $3 million a year. You might not be an elite recruiting staff recruiting at Virginia tech, but, you know, if you recruit the right kind of players, 
you're, you're not exactly going against powerhouses here. I mean, uh, imagine if Tech was in NC State's position. You have to play Florida State and Clemson every season. You got to play Louisville every season. Mm-hmm. You got to play North Carolina every season. That's right. I mean, those are. I mean, granted, North Carolina is not very good this year. They're they're a mediocre team at best. Uh, but you know, th- those are four really tough games. And let's be honest, it, even though Florida State has a backup quarterback right now. That should be two guaranteed losses for NC State. And your crossover opponent of Virginia Tech, let me point out, is Boston College. Who now, is not very I, good. I don't like, but let's face it. I mean, and I'll say this. I, this is not fair. It's not fair to NC State. But no, Virginia Tech is in a great position. Virginia Tech's in a better position than any other team. Because Miami has to play Florida State every year. You know, North Georgia Carol- Tech, Georgia has, Tech to has to play, play Clemson, Clemson every yeah. year. There's no reason. I and mean, we talk about Virginia Tech winning the Coastal Division 50% of the time, maybe. They could win it more than that just simply because they have a better they schedule. They probably should when you think about it. They have a better built-in schedule. Once Fuente gets this program fired up, running on all cylinders, I think they're going to win it more than half the time just because of, of the built-in schedule factor. I mean, it'll probably get to the point where instead of having Coastal Chaos, you'll just be having Tech and then really kind of everyone else unless – like we mentioned, Miami starts to pick up because we all know what that program's capable of. Yeah, and and there, there are I know there have been instances in the past where Tech has lost to Miami and then won the division anyway. Anyway, because two thousand five, because Miami, yeah, Miami will lose to Florida State and then drop a game somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? and 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 I'm sure there are years where Miami's going to have to play Florida State and Clemson both in the same year. You know, and Tech uh, generally only has to play one of them, not both. All right, let's go ahead and get into this Clemson game. This is the reason this whole podcast is a thing, and, and this might be a little bit longer podcast, but I think it's worth it. Uh, b- before we dive into the X's and O's, Chris, how important is this game in terms of getting the program to where Tech wants it to be in terms of just overall reputation, national reputation, regional reputation, and and really just making that next step? You know, a, a coach would, would answer this question differently than me, but – uh. At least on record. I hope like, you don't answer this like a coach. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, so the fact that the game is getting played is, is number one, is is the biggest thing in my opinion. Uh, I mean, f- to play a big game in Lane Stadium means Virginia Tech has to be good, right? And and you have to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and and see that winning this game or even playing this game can lead to bigger things. And you know, and as as excited as everybody was about that 2015 Ohio State game. Everybody knew, though, that Beamer was going to retire soon. So even if we want beat Ohio State again in 2015, it was not going to be a game that was going to advance the program any because we just didn't know what that next step was going to be after Frank Beamer. Well, now it's a completely different situation. You know, you've got Justin Fuente, a 40-year-old coach who's in his second full season at Virginia Tech. The first ever matchup in Lane Stadium between unbeaten top 12 teams, which is kind of hard to believe. Yeah, yeah especially. When, when you wrote that, I researched the 2005 Tech-Miami game. That was, lost. that was number three against number five, and Miami had lost the game. That's already. right. That's right. Uh, and I actually, actually, I think I saw that on Twitter. I forget who tweeted it. I'm guessing probably David Teal. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, hey, who knows every guy like that. That guy's yeah. a walking history he book, He really man. is. But uh, – you know, I think it's it's big for the community. It's big for the fan base to to kind of remember how big these games can be. Because honestly, I mean, some of these games the last few years, there are less than sixty thousand people in the stands. That pit game a couple years ago, there was like forty thousand people. There. I think a team I was, was actually in the stands for that with my dad. That was the final game I got to attend as a student. 
I think and listed attendance for that was 49,000. It was but it, really, it was really bad. It was the lowest since the Rutgers game in 1998, I guess. Yeah, right before the UVA game. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and I was at that Rutgers game. and But that was when the stadium only sat 53 or 55,000 people. So it just didn't didn't look that empty. Um, big difference this time, though. Will, I mean, do you agree that there's really kind of a bigger meaning here for this game outside of just the, the, the win-loss? Yeah, and that's what I wrote this week is that uh, the fact that this game is being played is important. And, and when I think about this game, I think about how important was the West Virginia game to open the season. If Tech doesn't win that game. This game doesn't mean as much. Nah, game and, day is not going to be and here. this game's at noon or 3.30. Game day is not here. You know, you don't have yourself in front of everybody like this. And if you go back to the uh, bowl game last year, you know how the media is and the media are, however you want to phrase it. Hey, be careful now. <laughs> well, the pollsters. Let's, let's, let's label the, the pollsters. Um, what if Tech doesn't win that bowl game last year? Do you think they're ranked to start no, this year? No, not I a hate chance. that. I hate that the pollsters do that. They act like bowl games matter. And from a, from a ranking or how you perceive a team, they don't matter. I, I've said this a million times. Bowl games are crapshoots, you know. Who's showing up focused? Who's not? You know, but if you win your bowl game, you can be rest assured that when everybody goes to rank you next year, you know, text ten and four instead of nine and five. So like, oh, ten win season matters. Oh, let's put them at number twenty-two. You know, and then they win that first game, and next thing you know, you're on you're on at eight o'clock Saturday night against Clemson ESPN game day. So there's although this is really important, there's a couple of things that have added to it, and. And that's what it's all about is putting things together as you build your program. Yeah, and I think the build-up to this game, not just with this year, but dating back to the end of last year. Go back to that Notre Dame game when Tech came back and won from 17 down. Everybody was excited. Then you go blow out UVA, 52-10 to 10 or whatever it was, and everybody's like, wow, that's great. I mean, not that we're not used to beating UVA, but yeah. 52 to 10, that's always fun. I mean, I mean, what was the last time Tech blew UVA out before that game? Right. Uh, it's been a while, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, um, so then you go to the AC title game, and yeah, you lost. But man, you have a really good feeling after that because you took Clemson right down to the wire. Then you win your ball game against Arkansas. Then you beat West Virginia. So, I mean, Virginia Tech fans have not been unhappy after a football game. In a very long time. In a very long time. Since the Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech game, game last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, working in this business, there there are things that, that we see that we can gauge the overall fan interest. One of them is subscription sales. Are they up? Um, am I getting emails from people that say things like, hey, uh, I can't remember my password. I used to be a subscriber, and I want to subscribe again because the team's finally good again. You know, and then you see you see the pages going up and, and as by extension, the ad revenue. Yeah. So I can – I can feel things building, you know. Um, I don't know what's going to happen after Saturday night. If Tech wins, it'll keep going. If Tech plays well, it'll keep going. What if Clemson does roll in here and, and roll right over Tech? What will happen then, you know? But I, I can feel momentum building in the program, and, and the fan base as a whole is starting to not be so fragile. They're starting to really turn and pay attention and, and get interested again, you know, in mass. In terms of the actual game, obviously, we already addressed the, the, the importance for Tech to get off to a fast start offensively. But one of the other things is taking care of the football. Josh Jackson had his first turnover against ODU. And, and, and you know, that's obviously – it was bound to happen eventually. No one's going to go through the, through the season with zero picks, uh, and no matter what quarterback-friendly system you're in. But um, how important is it for, for Josh Jackson to continue to show that he can value the football because Tech really doesn't have – 
any margin of error in this game. They don't. Uh, it's like Fuente described it yesterday. It's like diffusing, diffusing a, bomb. a bomb. If you snip the wrong wire, you're going to blow your hands off. Probably blow more than your hands <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 and he's right. That's a great way to describe it, actually. Um, you, you can't make mistakes against Clemson. I mean, Virginia Tech had two turnovers last year and, and lost the game by, by one touchdown. Um you, you can't afford to make those mistakes. I'm not gonna afford. To, I'm not gonna say you can't afford to make those mistakes, but you you don't want to make those mistakes. It because, becomes a lot harder to make. It becomes to a lot harder because, because you, you know you don't you don't know. Maybe if Tech has two or three turnovers, well, who knows? Maybe Clemson does too. Maybe it's a real sloppy football game. You know, you never know. But in general, no, you don't have to, when the other team has more talent than you. You have to do the little things right, and, and that's what I like about this Tech team so far. They're doing the little things right. Uh, they're not they're not racking up a bunch of penalty yards. Uh, they're kicking the ball out of the end zone. Their coverage teams have been outstanding. Uh, they've, they've got a punt return for a touchdown so far. So they're doing the little things it takes to win football games. And I think the staff recognized at the beginning of the year that this team being so young, they didn't have a huge margin for error, so they really had to stress those points. And you could tell the team bought into it. Um, you know, you go back to the West Virginia game. And West Virginia did not start a single drive. I think they had the ball 14 or 15 times, and they didn't start a single drive outside their own 27-yard line. That makes winning a football game hard. And, and you know, it's, it's like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, and it rolls right back down. I pushed it all the way to the 10-yard line, and it rolled back down to my 25. <laughs> and and you just don't want to make it easy on anybody. And turnovers make it easy. You won't. You, what you don't want to see is – Joey Sly crushes the ball out of the end zone. Clemson drives 75 yards for a touchdown, and Josh Jackson throws a pick six on the, the third play after that. That's really not a good thing. That's you don't deflating, want to make, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, so just just keep it down in their end. You know, even if you're not getting in the end zone a lot, just make it harder and harder on them. One of the other important things in this game will be obviously Tech's ability to, to not only pass protect for Josh Jackson, but create running lanes for the running backs against this Clemson defensive line, which, as we addressed, is really probably one of the best in the country, if not the best. You've got you've got at least three NFL players, maybe all four. Uh, I mean, you've got two guys that were nearly all ACC or that were all ACC picks for in uh, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. Um, I mean, how, how important is it for this offensive line, who's only given up four sacks this mm-hmm. year? How important is it for them to keep Josh Jackson upright and to keep him and, and to get him maybe two and a half, three seconds to get rid of the ball? Yeah, that's going to be very important. You know, I mean, I don't know, the Virginia Tech, they've had a good running game so far this year, but you're not going to go out there and dominate this defensive line with the running game. I think Tech will get some yards through misdirection and things like that, but the majority of their yards are going to come from how well Josh Jackson and his, and his receivers execute in the passing game, and if they don't have time, they're not going to be able to execute. Is this a game where maybe you can really take advantage of that fast tempo? That I don't think we've really seen a blistering tempo yet this year from Virginia Tech, but is this the game where maybe you roll that out to try and get rack up 75, 80 plays? Maybe, but the problem with that is, you know, if, if you go have a bunch of three out, three You've and outs. Got to convert and then, on then, third and then, down. And then, and then Clemson <laughs> runs at a fast-paced tempo, then that defense that you've got that doesn't have any depth, they get in the fourth quarter and Clemson's run 85 out, plays. You're about to get run off the field, sort of like Clemson did to Boston College last week. Well, I mean, and we saw West Virginia's offense do it a little bit versus Virginia Tech defense, where West Virginia was running almost a track meet there in the fourth quarter and late in the third. And then obviously Tech was able to kind of hold the door there in the red zone. Yeah, Tim Settle was so tired he was shadowing the quarterback. He wasn't even yeah, trying to rush. Yeah, the quarterback yeah at that anymore. point, yeah, when he couldn't rush. Uh, one of the other things is that, I mean, Tech is, I mean, excuse me, Clemson is starting Kelly Bryant at quarterback who 
has been in the program for a couple of years, but this is his first year starting. Um, you know, he he's only thrown two passing touchdowns this year and in three picks, so it's not like he's been a dynamic passer, but he is completing just under 68% of his passes. Um, it, it, do you see any similar? and I, I see similarities here, but I want to know what you guys think. When Tech played Ohio State in 2014, when they, when they played JT Barrett, they really just told JT Barrett, go ahead and beat us, see if you can do it, and he couldn't. Yeah. Do you see a, a potential a potential parallel here between the 2014 Ohio State game and what we might see versus Clemson? I do, except a couple differences. First of all, he's a junior and not a freshman making his first, second career start uh, Fair enough. that year. Uh, second of all, that Ohio State game has happened before. So Clemson coaches, I guarantee you, have gone back and watched that tape. And – they will be ready if Virginia, if Virginia Tech rolls out a bare front out there. Uh, but on the on the whole, yes, I do agree with you. I think this Clemson team, you know, they had two receivers declare for the draft after last year. They had a running back declare for the draft, and obviously their quarterback declared for the draft. The offense, and, their, and their tight end is and, in the draft too, Jordan right, Leggett. That's right. That's right. So you know, they just they don't they're not as explosive this year on offense as they were a year ago. So so when I look at Kelly Bryant, I say he's throwing two touchdown passes. Is that his fault or is it because it's just he doesn't have Mike Williams anymore, uh, and just how their offense is structured because he can that guy is a big boy and he can really run. So when they get in the red zone, he's got seven rushing touchdowns. So I, I can see when they get inside the ten yard line, their coaching staff is just running him, and I, I don't blame them. It's the it's the easiest way to score touchdowns if you've got a big quarterback with, with a good offensive line. Uh, now that being said, I fully expect Foster to come out with something that involves probably pressing their receivers and getting enough guys on the line of scrimmage to as possible to, to stop him. Because in the past, since 2013, uh, and these numbers are based off a 2016 article that I wrote from last December, I think in Virginia Tech's losses since the beginning of 2013, opposing quarterbacks are averaging 70, 78 rushing yards per game. And in Virginia Tech's wins, they average about 25 rushing yards per game. And Virginia Tech is 0-10 when the opposing quarterback rushes for 100 yards or more. And, you know, last year in the ACC title game, we saw Watson rush for 85 yards. And he had not been used as a rusher very much last year. But they broke him out against Virginia Tech last year because they thought that was a weakness of Virginia Tech's defense, stopping mobile quarterbacks. And it turned out to be true, and Virginia Tech lost that game for a t- by a touchdown. So I can guarantee you that a big part of Clemson's game planning this week is going to re- revolve around Kelly Bryant in the running game. Well, how much do you think Bud can do against Kelly Bryant? You know, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to really watch Clemson. Um, I did DVR Clemson and BC last night. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet today. Um, I'll know more after I watch it. Uh, I wonder if you'll see uh, press coverage from from the defensive backs. Especially if you can get Adonis back, which I think all three of us are expecting Adonis to play in this game. Yeah, so – you go back to the 2009 Tech-Nebraska game, which was a really frustrating game offensively for, for Tech fans. And, and Nebraska's uh, game plan was brilliant. They played contain on Tyrod Taylor. They, uh, they didn't really rush Tyrod, and they had Indomitian Sioux, one of the you know one of the great college defensive tackles of, of the last and he's what, still 10, a very good years. NFL defensive tackle and I think they also had Jared Crick who who's went, in the NFL who also in the NFL yeah. and they just played contain on Tyrod and uh, I wonder you know I the guy I think about is Tremaine Edmonds and his range and his size um, and Matuapuak is pretty good at, at uh, defending the quarterback run as well and he's also pretty athletic yes he runs sideline to sideline very well when you go right at him sometimes he struggles. 
But if he if he can have a sideline to sideline clear shot at you, he's excellent. So I wonder if Bud's going to cook something up with all that. I'm not saying he's going to lay back with his defensive line. I just you know I wonder if he'll play press coverage and put the emphasis on the linebackers to stop the quarterback run and then see what happens after that. We'll go ahead and move on to the over-unders portion of this podcast, which, as you know, we are finally keeping track of. We now have two weeks worth of statistics to track, and I am still sitting comfortably in last place. We all went 1-1 one one last week. Um, the first over-under was if Tech would score 42 and a half. Um, Will took the uh, yeah, Will took the over on that, and, and Chris and I took the under. Uh, over-under for turnovers was ODU Stephen Williams. Uh, Chris and I both took the under. Will took the over because Williams only had one turnover. Uh, we set that at one and a half. This week, I want to go ahead and move in to sacks for Clemson because obviously this de- this Clemson defensive line is terrific. And we've already addressed that. They're averaging four and a half sacks a game so far this year. So I'm going to set the over-under at three and a half sacks for Clemson. We'll go ahead. Over. And I think the over will come late in the game. I think they'll have a couple throughout the game. I think they'll start to wear Tech down and then get a couple, you know, cheap sacks at the end i don't want to call them cheap because they're good players but, yeah you know when you gotta when you gotta drop back and pass a lot and they know it yeah you know, they're gonna pick a couple up at the end of the game so i'll, I'll go over i hope i'm wrong no i i'm gonna say over to um you know we've tech has gotten off to some slow starts this year obviously and last year um you know maybe that's something to do with josh jackson being a redshirt freshman maybe it's something to do with him having a couple of freshman receivers out there i don't know but but you know i expect clemson to attack with a variety of blitzes and probably come out there and try to confuse him with some looks that he hasn't seen on film from them this year. So I, I, I'm going over with it. I'm going to go under, but just because I think it's three. Uh, I, I think three sacks is probably a good number. Tech's offensive line has done a relatively good job this year keeping Jackson mm-hmm. upright. I think they're going to get the ball out quick as fast as they can, especially against this defense. So I'm expecting a lot of short game from Virginia Tech, especially in the pass. And we'll, I think we'll also see enough running to where it'll try and slow down the, the, the Clemson pass rush. Uh, the, the second over-under, I want to go 80 rushing yards for Kelly Bryant. He's averaging, uh, I guess, uh, I think it was about 67 per game so far this year. So he hasn't been an incredibly great runner like a Lamar Jackson, but he does have seven rushing touchdowns and 260-plus rushing yards on the season. Will, go ahead. I think I'm going to go over on that. Um, not because I think that they'll pound it away with him and he'll get 150 yards rushing, but it would surprise me to see him pop a long one that contributes significantly to going over 80. So I'm going to go over. You know, that's a good question. And, I, you know, he's had a great year on the ground despite being sacked 10 times this year. Clemson doesn't, hasn't done a great job of protecting him. And he had 22 carries in that Boston College game this past week. So he is he is their running game. Uh, so I will hmm. – but, but, you know, Bud Foster, I mean, I think he's been preparing for this game for a while now. Yeah. Well, let's face it. I mean, I, yeah, there's no th- way there's, he hasn't. We weren't going to lose to East Carolina, Delaware, or, uh, or, ODU. or ODU. Yeah, see, I don't even remember who we played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's been preparing for this game for a while. So I'm, I'm going to go slightly under. I'm going to go over here. I think it's going to be slightly over. I, I do think that they will have some success with Kelly Bryant on the ground. But as, as we'll get to when we talk about our score predictions, I do think this Tech defense will be pretty, pretty good for this game. Let's go ahead and get into the score predictions. Will, go ahead. Clemson 27, Tech 13. I think it's possible it could be a two-score game early. Maybe Clemson gets up 10 nothing while Tech figures things out. Um, then I think it'll be a one-score game for a long time, and then I think they'll uh, tack on one towards the end, 27-13 Clemson. Chris. I've got a 24-20 Clemson. Uh 
Yeah, I think Tech has a good chance to win this football game. I, I think Tech's passing game and Josh Jackson's ability in the passing game is a good matchup against Clemson's secondary, which is very, very banged up right now. And I don't think Clemson's is, is as talented in the secondary as they are at some other positions anyway. But on the whole, you know, I think Clemson has the most def- has the most talented defensive line in the country, and they have more top-to-bottom talent than, than Virginia Tech. And, and they're well-coached, so... I just can't in good conscience pick Virginia Tech to win the game. Although I would say they've got about a one in three shot in doing so. You know, leading up to this, I've been I've been saying to everyone that I thought that Virginia Tech was going to lose this game in a one score game, and on uh, the, the risk of sounding like a homer here, I'm actually going to pick Tech to win this game. I've got them twenty four seventeen. Part of me just believes that Clemson's not all that great. They scored seven points in three quarters against BC. I don't think Auburn is particularly good, and they struggled against that Auburn defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm not sure that Louisville's all that great outside of Lamar Jackson, who is obviously one of the best players in the country. So I, I don't think that Clemson all, is all that great. I'm not saying that Virginia Tech is really great either, but I think that when you combine the fact that Clemson's receiving or Clemson lost a ton of talent on the offensive end last year, I don't think their offense is going to do very much, and I'm confident in this Virginia Tech coaching staff to manufacture enough points to win this game, and that's a phrase that Bud Foster's used many times so far, so far since he's been here that he knows that they can manufacture some points. But at the risk of sounding like a homer, I'm actually going to pick a Tech win here, and, and we'll see if I sound smart or completely stupid by the time that this is over. Um, that'll be it for us, guys. That'll be the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Obviously, the game will be Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. I'll be there in the press box covering it, live tweeting it. Follow me on Twitter at Ricky Blue. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage after this game as well. Obviously, Chris will have his, his big Sunday column, and then Will will have his big Monday column as well. Um, you know, go ahead and enjoy the weekend, guys. Like Will said, pace yourselves. Don't get don't get too uh, too uh, into this excited. game. Yeah, too excited into this game too early. Uh, game day will be outside of Alumni Mall at 9 a.m. So if you're interested in that, make sure you get to that as well. And that's all. That's all the time we got, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week, and take it easy.